bitches I fuck with. Bad bitches be run shit. Four bitches, four corners. North, east, west, south shit. Good bitches I fuck with. Hot pork, my boot stick. Witchcraft, bitch crap. Like match, this nothing. I wish I'm a Hi, I'm Jen Gorecki, the CEO and co-founder of Coalition Snow. On any given day, you might find me on the back of a motorcycle in Africa, chipping away at the patriarchy, or playing in the mountains. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. I'm a high school teacher, and when I'm not in the classroom, you can find me on the mat, on the trail, or skiing 12 months a year around the world. What we've learned over the years is that despite how good that epic powder day or trail ride is, there's still so much more to talk about. So what we're doing is taking those conversations that we start on the chairlift and the trail, and we're delivering them to you in juicy bits every few weeks. As modern outdoor women, we do more than get dirty outside. We are complex, adventurous, and intellectual. And so are you. So subscribe today. Check out our campaign on Patreon and get ready to blush, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is brought to you by Coalition Snow, a women's outdoor company making equipment and apparel designed to deconstruct the status quo. FYI, friends, this podcast contains mature content and may not be appropriate for younger ears. You've been warned and enjoy the show. Everybody poops and that's okay. Everybody poops and that's okay. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. <coughs> Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Hi, everyone. So, Jen Gorecki, CEO of Coalition Snow. I am here today with Ellie Comito. And before I get into who she is... We're going to talk about why she's here. So I have to start with some small town politics. So apologies to all of our listeners who could give a shit less about what happens in the Lake Tahoe area. But the story is important. So let's just set this up. Every single year, there is an adventure film festival in South Lake Tahoe. And I think this has been going on for 10 years, about. Now, every single year, there are dancers on stage. The film festival is held at a casino in South Lake Tahoe, and as many people have pointed out, dancers are part of the culture, the casino culture and the culture of South Lake Tahoe. So for many years, there have been dancers, uh, female dancers on stage as entertainment um, to complement the adventure film festival, which are short films based on adventuring in the outdoors. So this year... True to form, there were dancers on stage. And what's different, though, about this year is that politically and socially in the United States, everything that has to do with women is different today than it was a year ago. Even if we go back a year before that, we live in a completely different time. We've seen the inauguration of a president who talks about grabbing women by their pussies. We've seen a Me Too movement explode. I'm sure everyone has seen Oprah's speech at this point. So the Adventure Film Festival was met with pretty significant criticism this year in a way that it really never had been. 
And there were plenty of women and men on both sides saying there's no problem with having female dancers on stage. And then there were other people who said this is an objectification of women and positions women sort of in the male gaze. And an outdoor adventure film festival is not the place to have dancers. So what started off as a pretty interesting discussion actually ended up degrading into attacks on both sides. And for me personally, one of the most disappointing things that I saw was that the entire issue became about women being nasty to other women versus an actual discussion around women and sexuality and our bodies and who controls the portrayal of women and all these you know much bigger things that we could be talking about instead for a couple of reasons turned into those feminists don't like those feminists and it degraded quickly and let's just be clear this is the oldest trick in the book for the patriarchy to survive is to pit women against women so watching all of this go down in the local newspaper, on Facebook, in emails, in conversations, we decided that we would actually bring the conversation to Juicy Bits. And today, we're not going to really focus so much on what happened at the film festival because that's not really the issue. Instead, we want to open up to a bigger conversation around, as I said, women and sexuality and our bodies and the way that we perceive women. And so that's why we invited Ellie to be here today. Ellie is a longtime resident of the Reno Tahoe area. She is a former stripper. She is a dancer. And she is here today to shed some light on the side of women and our bodies that oftentimes we don't hear about. So Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So like I said, we're not going to really focus on the film festival, but it really gives this conversation context. Yeah. So tell me when you first saw the discourse around this where there were you know, plenty of people who were not happy about dancers. And so you might have seen it in the newspaper. Or you might have seen it in a Facebook group. What was your initial response to the criticism? So the first critique that I saw of the film festival was what do erotic dancers have to do with outdoor adventures? So my first thought was, excuse me, exotic dancers. Thank you very much. Um, but my second thought was, do you have any idea what kind of athleticism is involved in the type of dance that these women are doing? They have every place in a festival that celebrates. Dancers are no less an athlete than a snowboarder or a skier or a pro surfer or a boxer or, you know, insert sport here, right? And to dismiss dancers because they utilize their sexuality in their sport seemed really, really off to me. And, you know, I don't like to say, like, you're doing feminism wrong, but if your feminism involves knocking other women for utilizing their bodies, you're probably doing feminism wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but let me ask, ask you this. Do you think that the issue is women knocking other women, or do you think in this particular case it was actually women knocking the organizer in the festival? I think that what I saw more of was women knocking other women, quite frankly. And I think that there was probably plenty of critique of the festival and the organizer themselves as well. But the discussions that I saw happening a lot more were about what place dancers have 
in a world of athletes and that wasn't okay to me i think that ties back into what you were saying to begin with right this is patriarchy's oldest trick get us to bicker amongst ourselves about trivial shit and ignore the bigger picture another thing that i saw happening a lot was the assertion that we're objectifying women by putting scantily clad dancers in this show a you know we have to keep in mind the context right this is in a showroom in a casino in South Lake Tahoe, like that's our home turf. Like that is dancer's home base is a freaking showroom, right? If you want to eliminate that from the production, maybe we consider having it somewhere else like, you know, art house or something in Tahoe City or, you know, explore different venues if you don't want exotic dance to be part of it. Well, that comes back to the organizing, right? Yeah, absolutely. It does. So, Elliot, I need you to check my crazy here for a second. <laughs> so, I obviously, everyone knows this about me. I'm very outspoken. And I was about this. I was, you know, interviewed for the paper and spoke openly on mm -hmm. the Facebook group that we have. And, and one thing that I said was I equated this to when I go out to eat for pizza, I want to eat pizza. And if I'm served Mexican food... I may not be happy with it, even though I love fucking Mexican food, right? So my, my thing was, for me personally, I don't have a problem with dancers. I have been to strip clubs numerous times. I've had friends who, who, who dance. I actually don't even have a problem with women in sex work. Mm -hmm. For me, an outdoor film festival, that's pizza. Yeah. And dancers are Mexican food. And when I order one, I'm not necessarily in the mood for another one. So I'm, I'm bringing this because I, I want to ask you because I'm, I'm curious, what am I not getting? And what is potentially offensive about what I'm saying? Because when I say this to me, to me, it's a way to, to honor like, they're just different things that have different places to exist in the world. And it's not that either one is good or bad or right or wrong. For me, they just exist in different places. It's about a preference of how I consume these different forms of entertainment. I'm just curious from you how, how you take that comment. I think that the way that you phrased that comment makes perfect sense, right? If I'm going to a water fountain, I don't want milk. I want water, right? <laughs> it's, you know, it's the same principle. If I'm going for one thing, I don't necessarily expect or want another. It's not that I don't enjoy milk or Mexican food, um, but I am there for, you know, the water fountain or the pizza. So I think that, that analogy makes perfect sense to me. I think that what I took the most issue with, again, was just framing dancers as outside of the world of athleticism. I think it does go back to the, the show organizers, perhaps. And, you know, if we as a community truly feel that we want this to be a more focused production, a more focused event that really is about outdoor adventure outdoor sports then we need to reconsider the venue we're having it in maybe because when you have something in a showroom you kind of expect there to be an element of like casino old nevada spectacle to it right and showgirls and dancers are part of that i think so when do you think that the old Nevada, when's it time for that to change? And I, I, I bring this up because this is this is an argument like, well, that's just the way it's always been. Yeah. And here we are currently in a time where like that that concept is out the fucking window. Mm -hmm. It's just been that way. Uh, uh. No one's buying that anymore. Yeah, right. Well, it's just absolutely. always been that way. So how can we like this is where these conversations get so challenging. Right. Because we can say like, yes, well. Nevada and casinos, that's exactly where you would have showgirls or dancers or, you know, whatever 
we're not using exotic dancers. We're using showgirls or, or dancers. But at what point do we question the very systems that have created a belief system that that's acceptable or that's what that's what we should embrace? Yeah, I I think you have a really valid point that that's the way it's always been is exactly what like grouchy rich old white men try and tell us when they grab us by the pussy, right? <laughs> like that's that's some bullshit and no, I won't stand for that argument in and of itself. I do I do still maintain that culturally um, you know, showrooms are for showgirls, right? And I think that there are so many other venues that we could have an event like this that don't necessarily involve that. If you want to make it more of a film festival, have it have it in a theater, right? That that to me makes a lot more sense. Like if this was just a film festival, shouldn't we have it in a movie theater? Like book one of the smaller movie theaters in Tahoe. Like I, I remember when Art House was like a movie theater, right? And that's... Mm-hmm. I think there's so many spaces that we could move that we could move that into where it wouldn't be an issue. And as I'm saying this, I I do realize that, you know, there are many that would argue that I can move my feminism into other spaces, too. Right. Like to which I would say, you know, fuck you very much. But in this case, I do think that that venue matters. Context matters. And of course, there are parts of old Nevada that, you know can go ahead and die but i think at the at the end of the day you still if you go to a casino that's that's a certain environment and you have certain things in that environment like gambling we're not going to get rid of gambling in casinos that's what they are like we're not going to get rid of showgirls and showrooms because that's literally what they are there for they are showrooms exist for dancing in and performing in like they are they are performance spaces i guess is what i'm really getting at Showrooms are performance spaces. And if we want to have a film festival that is in a performance space, I expect some level of of performance, regardless of what kind that is. Dancers happen to be the most obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in having dancers, we have a type of performance that also celebrates athleticism. So. So I sent an email to Todd about this with my thoughts on it because I'm always a big proponent of like, let's just have a conversation. I think we have to be very careful about how we choose to escalate things and like the way that we can actually seek to find any sort of common ground or like resolve or have change. And one thing that I said to Todd was that when I first went to the film festival and I saw that there were dancers, I'm a single woman. And I have spent my entire 40 years on this planet thinking about the decisions that you make every single day and how those decisions have consequences, both positive and negative. And you can't get out of having to think about these things every day as a woman. So when I consider a situation that I might be in, which is a casino at night, primarily male audience, drinking with dancers, That formula for me, like that's such a heteronormative experience where to me, there's only one way that women can be perceived in that. And that is as objects and as tools to satisfy men. That for me is one reason why I never attended the film festival again and why I haven't been in huge support of having dancers because that situation for me, like why would I go be a part of something where men are drinking and watching women dancing. 
not a lot of good things come out of that situation. Nothing bad could happen too, but I don't know, men and drinking and women who are barely dressed, it's the same thing that would happen at a beach, at a poolside, anywhere. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. So I would make a really strong argument that what needs to change is not the things that are going on in that setting, but the mentalities of the men in those settings because it's not, you know, objectification is not something that women do to themselves. It's not something that just is a natural byproduct of me getting up and shaking my pasty clad tits in front of an audience. That act is empowering. That act is me owning my body and owning my sexuality. And the idea that we can have transactional sexuality, I think, is even more empowering because, awesome, I'm owning my body and I'm doing fun things with it and I get paid even better. So for for our listeners, what does transactional sexuality mean? Transactional sexuality is the use of one's body and the sexuality associated with that body to make financial gains. So that can be blatant sex work, that can be prostitution, that can be exotic dancing, that can be stripping, and it can be much more subtle too. It can be working at Hooters, you know, like you are working in an establishment that is, you know, there to sexualize you. But I think that, you know, there's a difference getting up in front of an audience and shaking your tits and doing all this stuff. That's empowering for the women involved. Objectification is something that audiences do to us. So I'm not objectifying myself every time I get up on a stage and shake my boobs and, you know, wiggle my butt. An audience is doing that to me. And it's their choice to objectify me or to appreciate me standing up and empowering myself in front of them. And I think when you look at things like burlesque, like, yes, half the audience is there because, yeah, woo, titties, yeah. But I do burlesque as well. And a lot of our audience, especially the female portions of our audience, are there because they get to watch a bunch of other women get up and own themselves and own their bodies and own their sexualities and set their own boundaries. And they get to watch other women empower themselves And being there to observe and applaud and support that, they're contributing to that empowerment, not the objectification that, you know, other people might, I guess, do, right? So how do we gauge that, though? Like, how can we tell when someone is truly there in support and in awe and respecting dancers as a form of art and athleticism versus the human being who is disgusting. I guess it's not even so much like how can we tell versus how do we create spaces where if I choose to go see dancers, I know that I'm in a space that is in line with my values, that is safe for me to be there, and that is really uh, mutually beneficial for myself and the women on stage. Like how would we create that space if the issue is actually about the people who are in the room observing not the people who are dancing yeah I think there are so many things that play into that so part of it is just cultural right because I think a lot of the things that I'm hearing you say like we have a space where women are scantily clad men are drinking and looking at these women that are scantily clad you could make the same argument about a bar in July very true we would not tolerate the objectification or mistreatment of some 20-something girl wearing a short skirt and a skimpy top at a bar. So why are we tolerating the objectification of women on a stage? Because 
they're essentially doing the same thing. The women on the stage are just doing are just doing it more publicly. You know, the sorority girl is just going out to have a good time with her friends in clothes that make her feel awesome. The dancer is making bank, wearing very little and showing off the body that she's worked her literally worked her ass off for. Um, and both of those things are empowering in their own ways. You know, objectification is just something that we do to those women through a culture that promotes the male misogynistic gaze. culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's patriarchy is the one that objectifies women, not the simple act of women being up for display. Right. You know, you asked me, how do we how do we ensure that these spaces are safe? How do we ensure that these spaces are centered on female empowerment and not female objectification? I think that comes from so many places. I think part of it goes into how we present the event. Um, you know, this is an event about women for women. Very gently saying, if you're going to be a misogynistic prick, we don't want you here. Peace out, basically. And also by doing the everyday work just on our culture. Like, I'm a total Trekkie as well, so, you know, excuse the metaphor. But, you know, as we move closer to Gene Roddenberry's reality where women are just equals, Right. And where we don't judge or objectify them for what they do, they can show as little or as much skin as they want and where we respect women for what they do, I guess. Um, respect women for what their bodies can do, not for what they look like. Right. Uh, that's a big thing for me is is ad admiring the skill and not the vessel, I guess. Well, so much of it comes down to really how do you police your own community, right? So Jillian and I on another episode of Juicy Bits actually have sort of deconstructed the different types of men. Mm -hmm. And we talk about there's just like the misogynistic prick who like there's no like that person just needs to be told to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, see you later. Go back to your corner. No one's interested. We're not going to try to work with you at all. Yeah. And then you have um, another another type of, of man who's he's he's the nice guy but just doesn't get it. Like, it's just still scratching his head. Like, really? Women have been raped? I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know. <laughs> but I'm so nice. I would I'm never so I would do this to you. And then, and then you have the ally who is the, some, like the, the man who just gets it. And then you have sort of the fake ally, the man who gets it but won't be publicly outspoken and stop anything about it. And so when I think about, like, how do you actually create safe spaces for both women to dance and human beings to um, participate and engage in this form of art. It's really like, who are the people who are on that ally side who are mm -hmm. ensuring that anybody who crosses the line and is inappropriate, whether it's with their comments or their actions um, before, during, after the event, that that's not tolerated because in, until we can actually get to a point where humans are not, thinking with their dicks but instead <laughs> using their brains and to your point like respecting women as like this is their job and this is their skill and this is an art form like that's very different than looking at women and being like I'm gonna bang that like that's my and so mm -hmm. and it's and I think that this is what's really tricky about the conversation is that some of us are just tired we're yeah. just tired so you know it's like you know just don't even want to deal with any of the ramifications of this heteronormative, you know, drinking casino culture that probably won't benefit me. Mm -hmm. And so for at some level, I'm one of those people who's like, well, just cut it out. Just make it go away. Let's not do it. Like, 
And then there's also the other side of it. Well, let's fight and let's work toward making these spaces actually be more supportive and, and, and safe. And where we really could make significant headway is if men policed themselves and policed their friends and made sure that these places were safe. And if we could actually have more conversations like this, where we talk about female dancers as an art form and as a job, the issue is really about how people perceive them. It's not necessarily the act. Because my interpretation of of this is, you know, when I was reading through, I was just scrolling through like all the messages um, and all the the comments on the, the Facebook post that what I was hearing from so many women was not that they didn't like the dancers, that they have a problem with with the dancers, is that they don't like women to be perceived as a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we really haven't talked about much is how individuals perceive women who dance. Then to me, the other side of it is who's in control of those dancers. So you had mentioned something like, well, you could have an event that is by women, you know, for women, and you Mm -hmm. very much could. But oftentimes you don't. Oftentimes you have men in power who are calling all the shots, writing the contracts, writing the checks, and they're the ones who are actually controlling these experiences. So I would feel fundamentally different about a curated experience that included female dancers, any type of sex work, anything like that, if I knew that women were in charge Mm -hmm. and that there were a clear set of like policies and guidelines that were very sort of what I would call like progressive and feminist. Like there's so many sex shops, right? Like you can look at, this is a great example. There's like um, female owned sex shops and then there's like female produced porn Mm -hmm. and how different that is from, from sort of like your very traditional um, male produced porn in male owned sex shops. So you see like, you can see a difference between the two. And if, yes, I watch porn. Okay, so I've watched both types because this is lady produced porn is is, objectively better. It's way better. It's it's like actually not even just from a female. I mean, I only have my female perspective, but like it's actually objectively it's the production quality. All of it is just better. It's just better. And it's and it's very different. And so this, you know, one thing that within this discussion around the film festival and, and the dancers is there was never any talk about like, well, what would this look like if women were in charge mm-hmm. of this experience, if they weren't contracted out or employees of or essentially a sideshow yeah. to something else? Like, what would that look like if women had more ownership? Because one, one of the interesting things, too, is that a lot of people will say, oh, well, those women knew what they were doing. They got on stage. They made a decision. And sometimes, yeah, totally. And other times, you're young. And mm-hmm. you you haven't gone through multiple years of on this earth to learn things. Or you're in a difficult position and you feel like you don't have any other options. Or you have been a survivor of abuse. And so there's all these other instances in which women don't totally know I'm air quoting right now know mm-hmm. what it is that they're that yeah. that they're doing right so for me knowing that there's like strong feminists um and and women with a really clear value set around what the goal of the dancing is and the goal yeah. of that experience is would be totally different for me really quickly just to touch back on the the male ally thing i think one thing that we need to really be working on is those 
the guys who want to be allies but aren't outspoken yet about their allyship, they get it. They they want to help. They think that what's going on with women in this country is bullshit, but they don't call each other out. Those are the ones that we need to like poke at and be like, no, but but be public about this shit. Call your other men out. Because those are the ones that are going to make a difference in all male spaces, right? So that was one thing. I have this dream of opening up a strip club that is like all, you know, obviously if I opened it up, it would be female owned <laughs> and where we have like different nights for like different body types where it's like you have like your fat girls night and like you can come because one of the things that I experienced working in a strip club was if you're going to commodify women's bodies have all 32 flavors and so many club owners i'm just going to throw it out there the Kashmiri brothers they have a certain type and from a business perspective i don't think that they do themselves a great service by looking far outside that type for their staffing uh, which is to say if you are not five eight skinny busty and blonde um, it's going to be approximately 70% harder for you to work at one of their clubs. And I just, I think that's ridiculous because not everybody, if you're talking about, you know, sexual preferences, not everybody likes that. So, you know, but that's a whole other issue is commodification of women's bodies and, and how to run a business that does that in an empowering way where you can commodify your own body and use your your body and your sexuality as capital rather than making money for the man with your body there's a big difference um huge difference which is incidentally why i would so much rather just like do a bunch of lap dances then go back in a private room because i keep 100 percent of what i get in the lap dance whereas the club gets a cut of everything that i do in the private room so these are important things for us to know yeah. ladies when you go to the when you go see dancers oh tip your stripper tip your stripper and also get lap dances the dancer gets all the money mm-hmm. and if you go to a private room you they don't they, the club gets a cut okay did yeah. not know this yeah noted important things to know about your strip club experience yeah and every club has a different kind of like policy and a different system in place so if you're unsure ask your dancer ask her what the policies are how the money works in the club ask her if she gets a base pay because in some clubs you're an independent contractor you don't get a base pay all you make is what people pay you during the night and in some clubs you get a base pay and you're considered an employee those are very few and far between i think there's more of those in the south um, and in some clubs, you know, they take X percent of the big room of the private rooms. And in some clubs, they take a percentage of your lap dances. And, you know, it's different everywhere. So make sure you know those things when you go in. Do, um, do women get paid well, you know, f- for these dancers who are at the film festival? Would that be would, would you get paid well to be yeah, on You do. Absolutely. Um, and so actually and that was another thing that I wanted to talk about, because you're talking about you know, the pigs in charge, essentially, the pigs who make the decisions. And this is something that I've been struggling with. So you can't see me because I'm, you know, this is an audio medium. But I am, I'm five, four and a half, 165 pounds. A good bulk of that is muscle. Um, But I, you know, I do have hips. I have not a tiny waist. I have a butt and I have double D's. And I do not look like your typical showgirl right I've got a bigger waist I'm not I'm not skinny we're, we're just gonna say I'm not skinny and that has been a big barrier for me with getting more high profile gigs 
I'm a better aerialist than than some girls that get hired. And I'm better because I'm stronger. And I'm stronger because I'm 165 pounds. But that's not what the people in charge are looking at. They're looking more at, you know, how does she look in a bikini? They're looking at, you know, what, how long is her hair? Has she shaved her armpits? You know, these very, like, superficial aesthetic things. And normalize. Like, this is what a yes. beautiful woman is supposed to look like. And if, if we go back to who decides that. Exactly. Who is deciding beauty and who is deciding, you know, the perfect female form. And we all know that that's changed over time. Absolutely. And it's different, you know, across cultures even today. And that goes back to, like, the male gaze. Like, mm-hmm. who are we... Who's who's being catered to here? Yeah. And so like I'm talking to casting people and the people that I'm talking to are like, you know, I have put you up for like a million different things. And even even the next person involved in the casting process thinks you're a great performer and they love you so much. And then we submit your photo to the guys that run the showroom and they're like, "Mm, no, we want her instead. And it and that's what it all comes down to. It comes down to the people very often anyway, the people organizing the event, not necessarily the people involved in casting. So they might have this whole like group of people that have all these talents and yet only a certain number of them get most of the gigs because they look a certain way. Yeah. Um, and and just to be clear for, for our audience, I'm once again like relatively positive that the women who were dancing at this film festival actually work for a company that's owned by women yes. here in Reno, which is rad. So we mm-hmm. should point that out. So once again, like the reason why I'm saying this is, is to acknowledge the fact that like, we're not really talking about these dancers and we're not even necessarily talking about this film festival. We're having this bigger conversation around women and the objectification of women and mm-hmm. transactional sexuality. And that expands much, you know, much further beyond this one event that yeah. happens in Tahoe annually. And you were talking about um, women who maybe get into the industry really, really young. And that's something I wanted to touch on as well, because even within that demographic of, you know, really young strippers or really young cam girls or really, really young women in the world of, of transactional sexuality. Yeah. Some of them just get into it because they're good at it and they don't really know what they're doing. Um, Some do get into drugs. Some do, you know, some get taken advantage of. Um, I've seen that happen a lot. I've also seen some that are like 22. I'm for some frame of reference. I'm 30 now. I've seen women who are like 22 and have two houses and like a savings account and have used this industry. Like they have worked the shit out of this industry and made it work for them. And like my hat off to them because when I was their age, I did not have that financial savviness. I did not have that kind of forethought and they are, they are setting themselves up. Well, there's so many angles to the dance industry and to the sex industry, you know, which, and of course there's overlap between the two. All of what we've addressed exists there. You have awesome businesses that are, run and owned by women and produced by women and I think the results there are better Um, and then you have you know other areas of the industry that are all produced by men and cater the male gaze and I think that's reflected there too I've I've been spending a lot of time with um, the Audre Lorde quote you cannot destroy the master's house with the master's tools Oh, right. Audrey. So yes. <laughs> that 
like I just that quote just really keeps coming into my mind in this conversation because are women who dance the master's tools or do they far precede men's use of them if we want to be able to sort of transcend female dancers as a commodity for men for men to consume what's the way that we do that as a way for women to build our own house and own our own tools that audrey lord quote really resonates with me you can't use the master's tools to destroy the master's house it doesn't work um it's why I believe very firmly in a lot of like anarchist tactics for overthrowing government and rebuilding and all these, you know, all these ideas that are kind of more tangential to this discussion. But at the same time, I have always said, and I think will continue to say that I am anti-sex industry and pro-sex worker. And I think to answer your question about do dancers predate men's use of them as tools? I think absolutely. Absolutely. And I, so I think it's, it's less a matter of reformation and more a matter of reclamation. I think that we need to reclaim dance as an art that is ours. And of course, it's not exclusively ours, right? Male dancers are a thing too. But as far as... But they're as... just not nearly as interesting <clears throat> as women dancers. Let's just be honest here. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. I'll, I'm just saying. Mm, I think it depends on context. I've seen some really talented like modern dancers, like male modern dancers that are just, I mean... Oh, I was thinking more when they take their clothing off. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No, we're talking okay. about. Yeah. When it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, we're sorry. on the same page okay. there. Great. <laughs> so, okay. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a, a, a tangent here. Okay. And throw a little pop culture in here. Okay. Kim Kardashian. I bring her up because I actually listened to this podcast around um, how they were saying that she is a master in owning her body and knowing how to make money off of her own body. So here's a woman who has been publicly disgraced and criticized a million times over for a million different things that we don't necessarily need to get in into here. But then if you look at it on the flip side, she is a master of her body and has used it to her benefit in a way that I think many of us would love to have that much confidence and that much ownership and be able to bankroll that in a way that she's been able to. So she's been positioned as a, a sex object who is not very bright and is just sort of a stain on society. But she kind of has fucking hustled in a way that so many other people never have been able to do. And she's a modern example of how you control the commodification of your body. And to me, looking at her in that way is fascinating. Absolutely. And I think, you know, first of all, woman didn't change her name when she got married. Like, A, props to her for that. But B, that's a huge marketing decision. Like, she would lose so much of what she's built if she changed her name. Um, I also think that, I don't know, I don't know what I think, but I have to ask at least how much of that positioning her as a bimbo with a big ass is actually just backlash from a culture that sees this woman taking charge of her body and owning her body and figuring out ways to make money off of her body without giving any of that away to the men in her life, like without letting the man, both proverbial and literal man, benefit from that. How much of that is just backlash from a culture that hates to see a woman do this, that hates to see women actually using their bodies in empowering ways to make money off of you know i 
The and man. Th- it's the man. Yeah. And I think I think we see that a lot from women who own their sexualities. I think that we see on small and large scales, we see men react really poorly to that and attack that and, you know, slut shame and all these things that I think were starting to happen in that argument about dancers in the film festival. Like, you see women owning their bodies and making money off of the skills that they have with their bodies. And we live in a culture that just can't stand that. They can't abide it. We're Americans. Puritan morality. I mean, that is is the ethos. That's the, the foundation mm-hmm. of this country. And so to escape from this Puritan morality is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Incredibly. You know, when, when a woman is you know, readily available to men, but also owns her sexuality and is readily available to herself, as it were. Like, oh no, oh no, we can't have that, can we? Right? Like, that's... Yeah, it's the double-edged sword. I mean, so if we we kind of look look back on this conversation, things we've learned, we've learned that you can have pizza and Mexican food at the same time, possibly. You, we've learned... (laughs) have salsa on your pizza you can have salsa on your pizza and you will eat it and you will like it um no but we've (laughs) you know basically you know what I feel like I've taken away from this conversation is the idea that it's it's not actually about the dancers it's actually about the people in the room who are participating in that experience and how do we create spaces that are productive to celebrating the women on stage and um, productive for the human beings in the audience where it is a safe place to be and a lot of that just goes back to who are our allies and who's willing to take a stand who's willing to say things when things need to be said who's willing to take action when action needs to be taken and that's really how we're going to be able to shift these conversations and shift these spaces where we will be able to say pretty much without a doubt that um, this is a celebration of women rather than this is an objectification. And it's going to take a long time to get there. And we may not. Like, there's always going to be people who will wholeheartedly disagree with dancers and sex work. And we're not really going to be able to necessarily do anything to change their mind. But what I would love to see going forward is that we become far more thoughtful in our discussions to where we are not allowing and ourselves as women to be pitted against one another. And that was, you know, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, one of the most disappointing things to me about this conversation that was happening, this large conversation that was happening here in the Reno Tahoe area, that it, it, it degraded down to women against women when really that's not the issue at all. So at the end of the day, we have to remember that we all stand on the same side and we're on the same team. And there's much bigger things, much bigger powers to fight than one, one another. Fuck yeah. Friends, and that does it for another episode of Juicy Bits. We would love to hear from you. What do you think about this topic? Please send us your comments at Juicy Bits at Coalition Snow. And we look forward to continuing this exciting, titillating conversation. Thanks, everyone.
Don't you 